when I'm making a decision, do I want to listen to the younger, scared version of me who needed to do this in order to stay safe and survive? Or do I want to listen to the 80-year-old version who's like, girl, we got this. We don't give fucks about the things that we don't need to give fucks about. And we got this. And you're awesome. Hello and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to the walk of shameless. I am one of your hosts, Sarah, and I'm joined by my very chill co-host, <laughs> Robin. Hey, Robin. Hi. Yeah, we figured out I didn't take any Adderall today. <laughs> yeah, you're more chill than usual. That's okay. Yeah, I'm just a little like less on point. I'm a little spacey, a little tired. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I'm I feel good though. I feel That's fine. great. I feel all right. So what's giving you a fuck yeah right now? All right. So I am just really into what's happening in downtown LA with the graffiti building. Have you seen this on the socials? Yes. I have. It's a <laughs> huge building covered in graffiti and I'm yeah. like so cool but I don't have context for it and I don't know a lot about it yeah I was shook by it when I saw I looked it all up and everything and I'm just here for this okay the more I look into it I'm like yes yes so it's if you haven't seen it it's it's in downtown LA it's right across from what now is the the crypto center it used to be staples center and who <laughs> corporate entities buy branding on a arena mm-hmm. for like 5 years but then it expires and then everyone gets to bid on it it's so fucking capitalism on steroids yeah so next to this capitalism like monument uh-huh. <laughs> monument to capitalism yeah are these two um well, I guess it's three buildings. It was going to be a mall and then a luxury apartment tower and a luxury hotel tower. The towers are 40 stories tall. And what had happened was in they were being built. It's a billion dollar pro- project funded okay. by people in Beijing. And they, for whatever reason, ran out of funds in 2019, right before the pandemic in the winter. And so since then, like construction halted, it's partway done. Some of the top towers is still just beams and stuff. And um, but they had a lot of the glass in and stuff like that. It's like they're substantial buildings and they've been totally empty and abandoned for five years now. Like it's so wait, what you are telling me that these (laughs) buildings are not buildings that once housed people right these are buildings that were in the process of being built yes and then the funding ran dry for whatever reason right okay so they never have been habitated habitable they and literally it's already a billion dollar project and they've been trying to get somebody to buy them out but there's liens on the building there's lots of legal actions on the building I've read certain things where they're like, the only way to make this justifiable at this point to even purchase it is to tear the whole thing down and rebuild. Like it's a disaster, right? And here's what happened, though, why this happened now. Um, There's two things. First, in Miami, um, during the Miami Art Basel, 
I don't know if this project was part of like sanctioned by the Art Basel or if it happened in conjunction with to kind mm. of critique the Art Basel. I don't know. But it, there was an abandoned medical building in Miami and all the taggers from the area hit it all within like a, a short amount of time. And so it's, you know, every single window is, is graffiti. And, and that had happened just in December, right? And so what happened here was also in December or January, the people that still own this defunct property in Los Angeles got sued by the security company that protects it because for no payment for lack of funds for not paying them. So now they have no security. And it took all of a few weeks, basically, before one person went in and tagged high up. And then they made a video of that. And it went all over socials. And it was in about a week, the whole thing was covered. And I just think it's it's a beautiful thing. Like I have a quote. So one of the taggers named Merch they said, they said, if the owners aren't doing anything about it, the streets of L.A. are happy to make something out of it. Well, I mean, the example that you just gave from Miami is so amazing because suddenly that building just becomes a piece of art mm-hmm. in the center of a massive, like kind of snobbish art takeover. Right. And then to take it, to do it here in L.A., on what is essentially just a monument of everything that is happening around the housing crisis yes. here and how there is so much international investment money that is coming in, driving up prices. Yep. I mean, the tech industry is hitting everywhere. Like major cities are all facing this. And then for them to find this up, I did not realize, I thought it had been a building that had been abandoned. I did not know that this building never actually functioned for anything, except now it functions as a piece of art. Right. And that's the power of this artwork. I didn't know about that. We're so used to seeing construction on the skyline. You don't notice it that much, but it's literally been sitting there looking like it's under construction for five years, right next to one of the busiest spots in downtown and very close to, of course, Skid Row, you know. And so here's what another um, tagger said, the uh, or artist, the called the actual I I love their names, like the actual in merch. I'm like, you're hitting it hard. So this person said the money invested in these buildings could have done so much for the city. A billion dollars. The actual also said these kids are showing they exist and they're taking the city back. And that's what I think is so profound about graffiti. Graffiti is like disenfranchised people making their presence known. You know what I mean? And this is what really happens here where it's like they're holding, I think, people's feet to the fire and saying, look at this shit. Look at this, you guys. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. I love street art as a way of bringing awareness to issues. And this is such a huge issue that is impacting us right now in L.A. I love this act of resistance and Mm -hmm. art and bringing attention to the fact that there are so many unhoused folks, especially coming out of the pandemic. And we need to be 
talking about it. And all of the development, at least that happens here. It's constantly luxury. Yeah. It's big investment companies coming in, trying to capitalize on profit in an city where rents are really high and building these luxury units. Meanwhile, we have no affordable housing in the city. The attention is now on these developers because Mm -hmm. of this. There's a lot of public eyes now on this building going, what the fuck is this doing here? You know? Well, and I mean, I will say our government, our city government is complicit in this. Oh, yeah. Until governments start creating some regulations and actually enforcing them on this bloated, out of control development, we are going to continue to have a massive housing crisis that affects, I mean, it's, it affects all of us. Yeah. No more luxury housing. What the fuck are we doing? It's unacceptable to be in such a wealthy country and to have so many people living on the streets. Yeah. So this is not just this isolated, like these developers, this is an issue that we can all be holding our government responsible for. Yes. It's not like they can do it without the government, you know, approving it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's just completely unacceptable. But meanwhile, while the graffiti is still up, everyone should go downtown. I'm going to, I'm going to take Ruby there to go see it. Yeah. And Really, it's like the drone footage is so satisfying. They took some really good footage of just the drone going floor by floor. It's 27 floors in two buildings. It's interesting to read the articles. They have to bring all of their stuff and hoof it. First, they have to sneak in because there are apparently two guards there that are just (laughs) keystone Mm -hmm. copping it, (laughs) trying to stop multiple people. Like there's this one person where they're like, third time I got in because they were chasing after some other graffiti artists. And that's why I got in. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's I wish there was a show about this. This could be a great series. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is so great. We have an L.A. native on the podcast today, just sticking with this L.A. love vibe. Mm -hmm. We went to her book release party uh, on Wednesday this week at a bookstore in Culver City that neither of us had been to called The Ripped Bodice. And it is fabulous, y'all. It's such a good store. I wish we had one more on the east side. But we have Rena Martin, the author of... The Sex You Want, A Shameless Journey to Deep Intimacy, Honest Pleasure, and a Life You Love. And Rena is a women's intimacy coach, but she was a former sex crimes deputy district attorney for Los Angeles County. So she comes at this work from a really different field than you know, what our background is. So it's, it's interesting how that informs her work. And I want to learn more about like, how did that happen? It's kind of like the darkest sides of human sexuality Mm -hmm. to kind of the best parts of it. She's really seen all sides of it. So I can't wait to get into conversation with her about this. Yeah, let's bring her on. Rena, welcome. We're excited to have you on Fuck Yeah. Thanks for having me. We um, got to go to your book launch event last night at the Ripped Bodice, which we'd never been to. And that was super fun. What a great bookstore. What a huge event you had. Like that place was standing room only. That was awesome. 
Yes, my heart was so warm, especially uh, as you know, it was rush hour on a Wednesday with the pouring rain in LA. And uh, thank you for being there. That was really special. It was cool. It was really cool. And that bookstore, like really great selection of books, including yours. So, um, but before we get into that, we wanted to warm you up a little bit with a few questions. What's the last picture on your phone? Let me see. It's probably not going to be anything too fun, actually. I feel like you might have some fun pictures. (laughs) Okay. The last picture on my phone is a small baggie of two microdoses of mushrooms um, (laughs) that I got. I know that I got in a swag bag at an event I went to last night. And a friend of mine was like, oh, can you send me the contact for the person who makes these? And so I took a picture of that and sent it to her. So there you go. That is the last photo in my photos. Wait, is this the world that we're in now where microdoses of psilocybin are given out in swag bags? Welcome to LA and welcome to to 2024. Oh my God, I love it. That's hysterical. Yeah. Who was your first celebrity crush? Ooh, Fred Savage from the Wonder (gasps) Years. (laughs) Fred. Oh, he was adorable. I know. I know. Yeah, he was my first, I think, but I've had so many. My first girl celebrity crush was Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Those both of them have like cheeks for days, I feel like. They're both mm-hmm. like little cutie cheeked people. Yeah, <laughs> like kind of wholesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I my vibe is more like I like cute people as opposed to air quotes like sexy people, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. Do you like it when cute people are sexy? Yeah. I mean, I like a little bit of a of a surprise and I just find people who are cute and don't put their sexuality front and center mm. as just more endearing. And that's my type. And that's just me. That's just me. Um, and where it's this unspoken kind of sexiness, I think that's really attractive. That's really interesting. I like that a lot. Do you remember your first mode of masturbation? Uh, I do. It was my hand until I discovered the bathtub like mm. spout Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the bathtub spout in my parents' bathtub was like the one that worked ergonomically. And mm-hmm. then I discovered the detachable showerhead in my own bathroom growing up. And uh, You're yeah, like, it was there all along. You actually had the advanced <laughs> model in your own <laughs> space. Yeah. And I think I, I, it just hadn't even dawned on me. And then I think I was listening to like Loveline or something because I grew up here in LA or something. I remember sort of that. Stuff. I listened right? to that too. <laughs> or like, I, and someone was like, yeah, detachable showerhead. And I was like, hold up, what? And I like, yeah. immediately went and tried it. And I'm like, Ran okay. into the shower. I take a lot of showers now. Yeah. <laughs> so you've personally benefited from sex advice, which you now profess. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so yeah. cool. Do you have any fuck yeahs going on right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, so many, so many. I am just thrilled that this book is out in the world because yeah. – you know, it's been years in the making. I'm just so happy that that it's here and that yeah. people seem to be enjoying it. And I'm I'm sitting back and celebrating that for the time being. It's so much work to write a book. I'm always like, if, if you can actually do that just mega giant project, it's like the biggest amount of homework that you have to somehow self-motivate to do. Not that it's not enjoyable, but it's such a huge undertaking. I'm always so like congratulatory, like bravo, you did it. You got it out there. It's published. Like, it must be nice to sit back and just kind of relish in all of the benefits of your work, I suppose. 
Yeah, it is. It is really nice. Um, so I'm really proud of myself and I'm fuck yeah, proud of myself for that. Yeah, that's a great fuck yeah. Good for you. It's I think it's so important too to take the time to actually celebrate, mm-hmm. integrate and let um, after a big project, like really let it settle in because there's such a drive to like move on to the next thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you really have to just have like that shavasana, you know? You're so right. I I was on a podcast recently and they asked like, so what's the next project you're working on? I'm like, there is no next project right now Mm. because I just had the baby. Like the baby Mm -hmm. is here. I'm I'm holding the baby in my arms. Don't ask me when I'm going to try to get pregnant again. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I can't even think about it. So yeah, yeah, you're, you're right because, you know, we're taught to keep going and keep doing more and being more and it's been a practice for me to, as you say, like slow down and be in the moment and just say like, wow, I did this. And I think this is an important reminder for for everyone out there in terms of sometimes you don't need to move right on to the next thing right away. Mm-hmm. You have such an interesting background. You know, Robin and I have been in this field for a long time. We worked with you recently on a project. We're like, how is it possible that we have never met Rena before now? Like, this is wild. But your background is as a district attorney. And it's my understanding that during the pandemic lockdown, like your life, like many of us, Mm -hmm. right, like went through this huge upheaval. And now you are a women's intimacy coach. So I am really curious what that process, like what personal process did you go through to go, oh, I am not on my path right now? Yeah, I mean, it was... A long process that really came to a head during the pandemic, but I was a prosecutor with the LA County DA's office for 14 years, um, prosecuted sex crimes, child abuse, and domestic Mm. violence for the majority of that time. And about 10 years into my career there, I burned out from prosecuting sex crimes. Um, And so as a result of that, and I'll, I'll spare you all those details, but As a result of that, I started prosecuting other kinds of cases within the DA's office. And Mm -hmm. the job just turned into a job instead of a calling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was put on this earth to help people. And it just kind of became a paycheck. And um, Can I ask you a question about the burnout? And and I don't, you know, all the details are unnecessary, but just what the crux of the burnout was, like, was it around just seeing the horror every day? I'll tell you what my what my watershed moment was there. Mm. I had just finished a jury trial with that that was a very strong case, I will say, a very strong case. And the jury they convicted on one count, but on the more serious counts they came back as a hung jury. So they they could not reach a verdict one way or the other. And when I asked the jury afterwards, because they're allowed to stick around and, hey, if you want to talk to the lawyers and let them know what your deliberations look like, stick around in the hallway. And you're not required to, but you can do that. So whenever we we would have a mistrial, a hung jury, we were advised, you know, try to talk to the jurors to see, like, what mm-hmm. were the strengths and weaknesses? Do we want to retry this case? And I spoke to the foreperson and I knew from our jury selection from our voir dire that he's a gay man who ran a nonprofit that worked with underprivileged kids. So I thought great person to have on this jury because that really described the kids who were going to be up on the stand. And 
when I uh, asked him, you know, hey, I would love to know what happened back in the deliberation room. He was like, you know, I work with these kids on a daily basis Mm. and these kids lie. And in that moment, I realized, you know, I can't continue to operate in a broken system. And I'm very sad to say that the injustices I saw that I felt to be the greatest and most Mm. egregious were in the hands of jurors and not judges, Mm. but actually jurors doing weird things. Because what I've seen is in cases where you have, you know, an unknown perpetrator, so you have the stereotypical true crime this is a person in a ski mask who pulled somebody off the street and, you mm-hmm. know, we have a DNA cold hit. Jurors, they they love to convict in those kinds of cases because mm-hmm. it reinforces this idea that there's like this boogeyman out there. Mm-hmm. But in cases where the, the two people are known to each other, so say you have a, a coach and a student or a priest and a, you know, parishioner, or you have a step parent and a child, Mm -hmm. juries, they will do mental gymnastics Mm -hmm. to try to avoid convicting because they don't want to believe that's the world they live in, that every time they send their kid out or leave their kid with a family member. Yeah. And at the same time that this verdict or lack of a verdict came down, me too had just started gaining momentum. Mm -hmm. That same week, Louis C.K. had had his Mm -hmm. entire tour canceled for Mm -hmm. doing something that, you know, Mm -hmm. was bad but wasn't nearly rising to the level of the abuse I had seen in this case. And I was seeing very clearly what justice and injustice look like. Okay, we have Mm -hmm. ramifications on one side and then nothing on the other. And Mm -hmm. that's when I was like, I'm checking out of this system. I I can't Mm – I cannot work like this. And have to tell parents, you know, these people off the street, members of your community did not believe your child. And that was, that was when it hit me. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was my burnout there. I can see it really would wear you down. Yeah. But when the highs were high, it was, I mean, the best job in the world. So I don't want to make it seem like for 10 years, I was just absolutely miserable. And, yeah. uh, you know, we had justice for for really bad people and really brave survivors. So, but sometimes, yeah, those cracks would, would show and I would see, okay, this is how broken this current system actually is. All right. So you've started, you went to a different department and now you're in your, you're just in a job, not a calling anymore. So what happened? Yeah. So I was in this very prestigious unit in the DA's office that I wasn't loving. I had a conversation with my partner one day and I said to him, you know, I'm just not really loving this unit that I'm I'm told I'm supposed to like want to be in. And he's like, well, why do other people want to be in this unit? I said, well, because it's a really good fast track to upper management at the DA's office. It's It's a really good stepping stone if you want to become a judge. Mm-hmm. And he asked me, and I will never forget this. He said, well, do you want to be in upper management or do you want to be a judge? And it was like light bulb yep. moment for me. I was like, no, I mm. think I want to kind of help people do what my therapist helped me do. Mm-hmm. And so I started researching, okay, could I go back to school part time to become a therapist while still Writing out the next decade or so of my career at the DA's office, and so that just I could, the like, next collect- decade or so, <laughs> right? I mean, that's really how I was thinking because I had a pension, like I had, oh, I could yeah. retire, and at the age of fifty, and I was like, okay, 
maybe I could kind of do both and then I could just slide right into another career. And that was my intention. And then the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, uh, I've baked all the bread. (laughs) I've (laughs) watched all the TV. I've done all the craft kits off Etsy. I don't know how long this is going to last. And it, it caused me like, and I'm sure you all have stories about this too, to take a step back and examine your life and your decisions mm-hmm. and say, okay, well, what am I doing here? Is there a way I could figure out whether I actually enjoy working with people one-on-one before I go back to school to become a therapist and spend a decade and accrue all these graduate school loans? Is there a way I could kind of test that out? So I went through a six-month coaching certification program and got to start working with clients one-on-one. And I saw that there was a demand for this. Mm-hmm. And I loved it so much. And that's when I made the scariest decision I've ever made. And I made quite a few because I thought to myself, if not me, then who? Who else is going to do this? Mm-hmm. I'm going to take the leap here and and see if I can go out and help people in a different way. And here we are. And is that when you dyed your hair pink? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I uh, yeah, I left the DA's office in March of that year, and I dyed my hair pink on Easter, like so the, the following month. And that had been a dream forever. <laughs> Reading your book, you describe dropping a bomb in your life. And I was like, that is just the perfect way to describe it, because I went through precisely that thing of getting a divorce with a toddler soon after that, leaving my job of 11 years, like it was just this domino effect of like, once something had to change, like everything had to change. Like I just was allergic to so many things in my life. And I look back now and I mean, I went through this before the pandemic. So I was in a weird false start when the lockdown happened because I was like, I have my, I'm like ready for my new life. And then all of a sudden everything came to a like screeching halt and Hold, please. (laughs) (laughs) But I look back and I go, oh, I can't see another way for myself to have done that Mm -hmm. because I was so programmed into like not realizing how programmed I was into like my life is supposed to look this certain Mm -hmm. way. And so it's almost like I had to live it, tear it down to the bones, right? Like the house only has the foundation left in order to rebuild the life that I really want to have. Yeah. But I have to believe that there's another way to do it (laughs) where you don't have to drop the bomb in your life. And so I'm curious Mm -hmm. in your work as a coach, when you have clients coming to you and saying like, wow, there are a lot of things that are not working in my sex life and my relationships. Like what are the tools that you give people so that they don't have to tear it all down? Great question. Because I like to say, you know, I dropped the bomb in my life, but then I got to design my dream home from the ashes. Mm -hmm. And so what do we do? I think if we're going to keep going with this kind of house analogy, you want to go in and see, okay, is there a way that we could maybe just renovate the house without having to tear it down? And so with certain clients, you know, I've seen people who have been in long-term relationships or marriages for 20 years who are on the verge of, okay, do I stay or do I go? I feel like there's so much 
living for me to do out there. I feel like I want to explore my sexuality. I feel like maybe I'm not straight and maybe I'm not monogamous. I mean, all the things, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, that involved dropping the bomb. And and I had tried things. My, my then husband and I, we had gone to retreats. We were in couples therapy and we eventually hit the impasse, which was me realizing I'm not wired for monogamy and him being mm-hmm. like, I just, I just am. And mm-hmm. we could not split that proverbial baby. But so what I've seen with other couples though, is instead of having to drop the bomb, they can say, all right, well, let's start introducing some novelty into our relationship. That can Mm -hmm. be in the form of kink, right? Like if you've never really dabbled in that before, that can be in the form of, okay, let's, let's start going to some sex parties or start gently opening up. And maybe it's that we can find a way to branch out of monogamy just a little bit in a safe way that we're both on board with. And we're almost in this 2.0 version of our relationship. You know, Esther Perel likes to say that the same couple can be married many times because, mm-hmm. you know, we have mm-hmm. marriage 1.0, 2.0, right? And and so that's a way of of doing that. If, if we're talking about people's careers, because I've worked with a lot of clients who once they start doing this work, they're like, why am I in this job? Kind of like what happened mm-hmm. to me. And so maybe it's not you're dropping the huge bomb in your life, but maybe it is like, hey, I want to take a different role in this company. Mm -hmm. I've realized that I'm actually much better suited for X instead of Y. Really figuring out a way to remodel before destroying. Like, is it a total Mm -hmm. loss or not? Mm -hmm. And you don't have to make this decision impulsively. Our relationships aren't something that we, we set and forget. They require routine maintenance. Uh, You know, we got the oil change and don't wait until the car's smoking on the side of the freeway to go get your oil change. Mm -hmm. Folks will sometimes come to me at that point where the car is smoking on the side of the freeway and they're like, do Mm -hmm. I just trade it in and get a new car? And I'm like, no, let's let's take it into the shop and see what (laughs) we can do first. So obviously, if you can't tell, I love using analogies, former trial attorney here, because that's how you talk to juries. But yeah, I think that dropping the bomb is not where we go first. It's it's the nuclear option. It's the last resort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. I realize in our interview, we haven't mentioned the name of your book yet. We did oh. mention it in the intro, but your new book is The Sex You Want. I learned at your book event that the working title was The Walk of Shameless, yes. which I love. And so I kind of want to bring in this concept into the conversation, like what does shame have to do with all of this? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that your example from your trial that really sent it over the edge for you is just a kind of perfect illustration of this, that we have like such deep shame baked in from the larger culture Mm -hmm. that makes it really hard for us to ask the hard questions about authenticity, sexuality, identity, all these things. So like how does shame factor into this whole conversation for you? Oh my goodness. I mean, I'm asked this often and I normally say where, how does it not factor in? Mm -hmm. Because shame is coming from everywhere, friends. It's coming from our families of origin. It's coming from most religions. Mm -hmm. It is coming from 
what's happening right now in the world, our reproductive rights, our bodily Mm -hmm. autonomy, what's happening to trans rights in this country right Mm -hmm. now. It's coming from a lot of mainstream porn that's trying to convince us like, well, if you can't come this way through a few Mm -hmm. thrusts of the penis, there's something wrong with you. Or if you can't squirt, there's something wrong with you. Or if your dick isn't this big, there's something wrong with you. And that's what shame is. Shame is this feeling that there is something wrong with us that we are inherently flawed or broken and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And what's interesting about shame is that it used to serve a biological and evolutionary purpose for us. So we're hardwired to feel it because a long time ago when we were hunters and gatherers, we needed shame to keep us alive because if our if our clan abandoned us, we would die. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. whenever there was that threat of being abandoned, this shame would come in. And so, yes, it served us a long, long time ago. And today we're still hardwired to feel it, but it's now considered to be a psychologically damaging emotion. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's bad for us. And I like to say, if our, if our brains are like computers, we're kind of walking around with these outdated clunky desktops that have viruses on them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anytime I hear a question, um, and I get these questions often in my DMs or, you know, I teach a lot too, is it normal that, or Mm -hmm. is there something wrong with me that, that is Mm -hmm. shame there. Mm -hmm. Is it normal that I can't come through penetration? Is it normal that like, I love my partner, but I just, I I don't want to have sex with them anymore. Mm -hmm. Because what that's saying is like, well, I should want to have sex with my partner. I should be able to come this way. And again, that's another thing. Anytime I hear the word should, Mm -hmm. I start to peel back the layers of that. And normally there's a little, it's, there's the shame nugget sitting there in the middle. Should my body look this way? Or once I lose the weight, then I will feel comfortable Mm -hmm. having sex with the lights on everywhere. (laughs) It's coming Mm -hmm. from everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you think it affects women more than men or are you seeing like men are have a lot of just socially not? Of course, every individual is really different. We've reached an interesting point right now where I'm seeing a lot of body shaming when it comes to men. Mm. And it's kind of the saying like, well, we have a voice now, so let's tease men about their bodies. And I was just at a comedy show last night, for example. And throughout the night, there were these and it was all female comics innuendos being made about penis size Mm -hmm. and jokes about micro penis. I mean, stuff like that. And I'm like, y'all, we didn't fight for our rights to body shame Mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't believe we need to tear down people who have different body parts or who um, have different assigned sexes or who identify as different sexes in order Mm -hmm. for us to alleviate our own shame. But in terms of what we're allowed to want as women – that shame has not gone away <laughs> at right, all. Right, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's more just that it's being passed around more. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's an Here, equal you opportunity. Have a yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I do think that there is, there is a shame that comes from, you know, the patriarchy, misogyny, sexism, like this hurts everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So the expectation for men to be virile Mm -hmm. and to um, have their worth attached to that is a really difficult pressure to have on you in Mm -hmm. society. But I also think like, 
when you are the power holder in mm-hmm. a culture, mm-hmm. it doesn't have the same impact, sort of the pervasive impact. Of course, mm-hmm. it helps it hurts you on this like individual level. But when you like zoom out and look at the negative impacts on like a number of different factors in your life, it doesn't have the same kind of impact that it has for women, for trans folks, for queer folks, for people Mm -hmm. of color, you know, like there's just all of these different ways in which it plays out when you're oppressed in a, in a variety of contexts. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that intersectionality is real in terms of all the different ways that we can be oppressed as women, depending Mm -hmm. on our skin color, the sex we were assigned at birth, our sexual orientation, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. And when I opened your book and the prologue hit me with something that I was like, oh, I can't, I think I know where we're going with this because the shame is possibly a little implied here. And I really related to this opening passage at the very beginning of your book. So I'm going to read it. It's super short. It says, I'm about to pay for sex. I've sent child molesters and rapists to prison for life. I've been called to crime scenes with brains and organs spilled onto sidewalks. I've donned head-to-toe surgical gear during autopsies to protect me from the smell of death. But I've never hired a sex worker. (laughs) And I was like... Whoa. Yeah. I mean, way to put it all in perspective, right? Is that like, we can be bold and powerful in all of these ways. And yet the bedroom is one of these spaces where we are all taught to be small, like Mm -hmm. keep your desires to yourself. Don't step too much out of the bounds. And, you know, a lot of that is done through shame. Right. But I also was like, I have never hired a sex worker. And that's just, it's sort of funny to me because I'm like, I probably should at this point. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm dying to know what your experience hiring a sex worker was. Oh have, my gosh. You, have you done it again? Like what, what has this experience been like? Oh, I mean, that experience was awesome. And clearly like, I give, I go into pretty graphic detail in the prologue of the book, but this was like, it was my 40th birthday and I'm like, I want to, I want to do something. I want to do something fun. And what I loved about hiring this particular sex worker and she was a dominatrix, I gave her kind of not a script, but I'm like, here's this fantasy and this role play that my primary partner and I engage in at home. And I would love for you to kind of be the implied person, like, cause we do a bit, a bit of like daddy play, not age play, but, but, you know, good girl, daddy kind of stuff. I was like, so here's the vibe me and my partner have at home. And I would love to have this kind of story where daddy's told you that we've been playing together and now you're going to like train me in some way. And she was like, mm-hmm. yep, I'm here for it. And God bless Los Angeles and all the <laughs> actors here because she nailed it. Like it was <laughs> And I didn't really know what to expect because I hadn't hired one before. And I'm like, is she – okay, so she she told me to bring any toys I wanted her to use on me. So that means like there might be like orgasms and stuff. That's cool. I told her I'm not super into pain. Um, but a little impact if it's organic in the scene is totally fine. But so, yeah, we get – she she like greets me at the door and she's just normal. She's not like, well, hello, young lady. Come in. It was like, oh my gosh, hi, this is your first time. I'm so excited. Blah, 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 blah. 
And we kind of get the room set up and it's kind of a typical dungeon room. There's a St. Andrew's cross, there's paint implements hanging on the wall. And um, she's like, all right, I'm going to step out and go change into something a little bit more sexy. And then I'll come back in in character. I was like, okay. And uh, so, so she did. And there were things like that I was not expecting. Like there, there was like, the the huge strap on there was some anal play i mean there was there was all the things and i had booked an hour session i think about 50 or 55 minutes in she's i was like i i'm good like (laughs) (laughs) i was like yes like the afterglow um but it was so awesome and you know i i finished that prologue saying that i wasn't a john cowering out of a brothel that Mm -hmm. this was this was a walk of pride as I left that house. I was like, wow, I have come really far, no pun intended. So I, I, I love, I highly suggest sex workers for a variety of reasons. But if we're talking about you have a very niche fantasy that you want to enact, hire a professional to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you walked out of there with some layers of shame, like just shedding them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we've talked with a number of sex workers and I, I just think that they are healers. Mm-hmm. Totally. I had a I had a session with um with a, a different pro dom recently. And that was less of a role play kind of scenario, but more like, you know, I've been feeling like I've had a fracture with my body recently. And she's a very gentle dom. And mm-hmm. so that like we started our session with like her guiding me through some like breathing exercises. And it was just this beautiful and we ended with it with an orgasm and it was so cool and and it was so healing and I can't recommend it enough. It's good stuff. Yeah, I like hearing of the the gamut cuz I do also think that people think of sex work and associate it with these like high peak experiences, but that it can really, I mean it can sort of take on whatever tone you want it to and also just depending on who you're working with, it can be really different. Yeah. yeah. Or, or assuming that you have to approach it in this like typical John type of way, mm-hmm. like that you're going to go there and get your rocks off, <laughs> you know, right? it's like, no, you can go there and have a very unique, even orchestrated event tailored to you that can have a lot of things going on in it, depending, it can be very nuanced and, and particular to you. And it could have no sex involved in it or, or whatever. It can be so many things. Absolutely. And and the the experiences I described were with folks who, you know, they are service providers, but it's not a, a two-way street. So there's no mm-hmm. touching of them. There's 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 no sex happening from you and headed in their direction. Mm-hmm. It's all happening in one way. And obviously if we're talking about other kinds of sex workers and we're talking about oral sex and things that that you can't have really a lot of necessarily protection while you're using if we're talking about doms and that type of thing I don't want to categorize that like all all sex workers are the same and I have you know one type of experience with them but really you can find somebody to help you engage in pretty much anything you want to engage in yes yeah I had a friend who also gifted it to herself for a milestone birthday and I just love this idea that more women in particular are starting to think of like, you know what, I'm going to treat myself. Mm -hmm. This is something that I deserve to have. And there's a, you know, and it's like a, yeah, it's a really nice, a nice gift to give yourself. 
<laughs> yeah. I had a client recently and she's had a lot of sex before, but she never knew how to ask for what she wanted. And she um, was like, yeah, I've had sex with over 200 people. She was involved in like the swinger community for a long time, had been doing some sugar babying. She's like, but I can count on one hand the number of times that anyone's ever made an effort to give me an orgasm. Hmm. And I was like, you know, what would be really healing for you might be to go to a, to go to a sex worker. And so she went Mm -hmm. to a pro dom and she said that leading up to it, she had to explain to this dom in writing, like, here are my limits. Here's this. And it brought her to tears because mm. nobody had ever asked her that before. Mm. And then, you know, knowing that her only job that day during the session was just to sit back and receive, mm-hmm. like, that changed things for her. And so yeah. I just want to give another pitch for hiring a sex worker and how just yeah. absolutely healing and transformative it can be. Getting the sex you want. Do it. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which uh, beautifully brings us back to your book where you have lots of um, exercises and tools in the book. Can I mention an exercise that I really liked in here? Yeah. Is the um, the 80-year-old, what is it? 80-year-old badass. The 80-year-old badass tape. Yeah. So it's an exercise that's actually designed to tap into the subconscious part of your brain, which stores a lot of our beliefs. So 95% of our thoughts and our actions on a daily basis are stemming from the subconscious part of the brain. Mm -hmm. So what I do with my clients, and I kind of walk the readers through it too, is getting you into a very relaxed state where you go through what areas of shame you have in your life. And there's an exercise that you do that leads up to this. So Mm -hmm. I can't necessarily act it out here because there's some pre-work that you needed to have done. But you focus in on where these messages live in your body. So your Mm -hmm. eyes are closed, you're doing some breathing. And then within that space, we start to allow your subconscious to just bring up like, what's the first memory you have of feeling this way? And just something random, like don't overthink it. And a memory will pop in. And then we start to analyze that. Okay, well, what decision did you make about yourself when you were five and your dad was yelling at you that you needed to shut up, like, Mm -hmm. right? Say that's the memory. And it's like, well, I need to be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. And so then we do a little bit of reparenting, which is like, okay, now imagine you were next to the five-year-old version of yourself. Mm -hmm. What would you tell her about the fact that she feels like she has to be seen and not heard? Mm -hmm. And then we have that discussion. And then what we do is something that that isn't really done a lot um, in in reparenting and like conventional talk therapy is we say, all right, now imagine you were the 80-year-old most Mm -hmm. sage-wise badass version of you. Mm -hmm. And I want you to get into her head and I want you to imagine that that version of you is sitting next to the you of today. Yeah. What would she tell you about the fact that you don't feel like you can speak up for what you want in your life? Mm -hmm. What would she tell you about fill in the blank, whatever your shame is? And then we, we let those messages come out. And then what I say is that is you. I can tell you, your friends can tell you, your therapist, your coach, a book can tell you what you need to be doing, but no one is stronger than your own intuition, your inner voice. And that 80 year old sage wise badass, that Mm -hmm. is your inner voice. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm so glad you brought this exercise up because it is, it's a profound one that I do with clients. And whenever I'll get a message from someone like, okay, Rena, what do you think I should do about XYZ? I'll say, what would, what would the 80 year old version of you tell you to do? So it's like you're interacting with your past self, but I love the idea of also then interacting with your future self Mm -hmm. because all Mm -hmm. of it can be integrated into this more whole person and to not just like take your future old lady self as this thing that you're dreading, trying to avoid or ignore or whatever, but actually this crone version of yourself um, right. has a lot to say and actually might um, be one of your your better I can't think of the word fangirls or whatever (laughs) like you know like you can get a lot of wisdom from your future self and a lot of peace in your present tense totally and if we think about it this way that like we today our children compared to who we're going to be 10 20 30 40 50 years from now we're essentially we're doing inner child work right now yeah like we are reparenting ourselves or parenting ourselves right now in real time. Mm -hmm. And that message that you have on that one tape that's saying, you know, I need to be seen and not heard. That's tape A. And that's the tape you've been listening to every day up until now Mm -hmm. that's been guiding your decisions. But hey, there's another tape in this boombox that's got all the things your 80-year-old badass says to you. And as you walk through life, you can say, which tape do I want to listen to? Mm-hmm. When I'm making a decision, do I want to listen to the younger, scared version of me who needed to do this in order to stay safe and survive? Mm-hmm. Or do I want to listen to the 80-year-old version who's like, girl, we got this. Like, yeah. we don't give fucks about the things that we don't need to give fucks about. And we got this. And you're awesome. I remember my mom saying when she was about our age or my age, she was like, oh, I wish I would have known how beautiful I was when I was 20. And I remember her saying that to me and going like, you're fucking gorgeous right now. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know to say that I was like a kid. I was a teenager, but it was like, it didn't make sense to me, but I've held on to that. And I think that's like what struck me about this is that way of like, if you only knew what your older self would think of you, you would give yourself a few more breaks and give a few less fucks. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's like... You, you look great, you know, and you're doing what you can. And that's all that you you need to do, you know. And sometimes she's the one who encourages you to drop the bombs mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Get the fuck out of that job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or or relationship. relationship. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's so much work that's done in therapy that's backward looking. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we have to just energetically change the orientation towards the future. I've got to be putting some positive energy in this like forward movement because there's so much more of the story still to tell. Yes. yes. And and I think, you know, therapy, I, I love therapy. I love therapists. My book is dedicated to my former therapist. Mm-hmm. Like that's her name on there. But coaching, we do something very different as we kind of pick up where therapy is left off mm-hmm. in the same way that if you got into a car accident and you broke your knee, you would go to a physical therapist to get you back to baseline functioning. But mm-hmm. if you then wanted to run a marathon at some point, mm-hmm. you wouldn't go back to the coach. to the PT. You would get a coach or a trainer. Mm-hmm. And and so we are 
therapy is designed to get you to baseline and coaching is designed to help you reach your goals. And, and so, um, yes, like we are forward focused. And of course, as taking the same analogy, if I'm the trainer helping you train for the marathon, I want to know that you had a knee injury. It's Mm -hmm. not like the past doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. I want to know what happened. We're going to acknowledge it. I'm going to ask some questions, but only for the purpose of getting you moving forward. Mm Mm-hmm. How can people find you if they want to work with you as a coach? Where can people find your book? Oh, my gosh. So you can always find me on Instagram and at my website, which is renamartine.com. And you can reach out to me through either channel and find out more about uh, my coaching and the book and all the all the other good things. Great. Do you want to do an affirmation? Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. A little gift for you. <gasps> I'm so excited. I have this deck called Dirt Gems. It's a plant oracle. Ooh, I like this plant. It's borage. Ooh, and it's got a rainbow on it. Hey. (laughs) Okay. Borage. Barago, Corago, courage. Borage is the plant ally to summon the courage to be lighthearted. Borage is related to lifting the heart. If our hearts are bound up, weighed down, how can they sit lightly in the chest and hover, levitate, sing? Borage is a bobbing harbinger of allowing and encouraging, lifting our worry and fear for a while. Borage is a buoy, and it is also the bird that sits on the buoy, bobbing in the current, ready at any moment to take flight. I love this because I feel like it comes back to what we started with, which is just sitting in it sometimes Mm -hmm. in the joy and relishing and not feeling like you have to keep going. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Sitting in it, but knowing when to fly away. To fly away. (laughs) Yeah. When it's time to start moving again. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. What a beautiful reminder. Yeah. Thank you for spending this time with us. It was really wonderful. This was lovely. I appreciate you both. Oh, we went on such a journey in that conversation. I mean, yeah. where we started to where we ended uh, was a little bit of like Rena's journey, right? Like of yeah. going from that like really dark. I mean, the story that she shared about her breaking point, it's like, I mean, I get it. Like that's yeah. so relatable to just be like, I'm out. This is too much. But I also just was like, gosh, we could spend a whole episode just talking about the ways in which we have so much stigma, shame, mm-hmm. bias, just like baked into us, like yeah. and just jadedness. Mm-hmm. What a difficult environment to try to be advocating for victims in, you know? You can see why so many victims don't come forward as well. Like to go through that and to stand up in front of everybody and say what happened to you and to not be believed. I can see why I don't know how anybody would do be able to do that for more than 10 years. Yeah. Well, and then how uplifting it must be to now be in a field where you're getting to just support people through so much positive change in their life. Yeah. And when she talked about losing her mission, 
when she went to the different part of the DA's office, it does seem like she got it back. And it, and I can see how it's kind of the same mission. Like, I do mm-hmm. think that she really wants to protect and, you know, people's sexuality and also be able to allow it to flourish. You know, it's like she's kind of like a guardianship over it. And she did it mm-hmm. in the kind of protection way. And now she's doing it in the more like flourishing way, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, you know, we went to the book event this week and it's been a while since I've been at an event like that. You know, like I feel like we used to have events like that at Pleasure Chest a mm-hmm. lot where it's just like a sea of people mm-hmm. who are all just looking for this lifeline of yeah. like, how do I connect or stay connected to this part of myself? And there were a ton of women in the yeah. audience just really riveted and moved by they had a panel discussion and it's just like no it is important work like sometimes I think I lose sight of that a little bit and Mm -hmm. doing events and interacting with people in person was a thing that always made me feel really connected to like no this does this is an important thing to do and to help people navigate in their lives and I definitely had that feeling at the event that people were more live stuff I know I want to do more live stuff so badly. Let's put that out there. This is yeah. our this uh this is a spell. We are yeah. putting it out there. If you have a venue, mm-hmm. you have a connection at, let us know. We definitely want to be doing more live events. Yeah, season four, all live. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, that would be so much work. Oh, it would be great. Um, I loved the exercise that you called out. I was yeah. so happy to talk about that you know it's interesting we I have the pleasure attitudes Mm -hmm. workshop series that's coming up and a few episodes ago our 50th episode we shared a snippet from me reading the love letter to yourself the backup exercise that we have in that course uh, coming up on March 14th, by the way, you can go to sexplus.com and sign up if you want to participate in my pleasure attitudes course. I love it. But for some people like looking back and writing a love letter to yourself in the past is just kind of not where they're at. Mm -hmm. So the other opportunity that we offer to round out that course is that you like imagine that you're on a on a mountain like you're you've (laughs) on up the mountain of life and you're looking back Mm -hmm. and giving yourself advice from that vantage point of having gotten through the things that you're working through right now and write that letter to your current self from your future self. I love that exercise. Yeah, that seems very powerful. And, um, and it reminds me of something that I've been, it's just been on my mind lately that I would like to make a little segment around. Ooh, exciting. I think this will be some healing shit. Fucking healing shit. Okay, so that 80-year-old mixtape really stood out to me because it's been on my mind lately that, you know, I'm at the age where my face is making some pretty dramatic changes. It almost seems like on the daily as just aging is happening. And we live in Los Angeles. And even in the queer community, there's a lot of modifications and Botoxing and stuff like that, that I have been really thinking about. Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? I'm considering all of it right now. I know. I'm like, oh, my neck. So I'm like, 
Okay, but I kind of, I have part of me, there's this punk rock part of me that is really wanting to resist all of it and just be like, fuck no, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that about you. Thank you. And so it made me think about how I remember being a teenager and really idolizing certain women that I kind of wanted to be similar to and I might dress similar to them or whatever. And I think that we kind of get those ideas stuck in our head and we keep trying to go back to this idea of adulthood that we thought of ourselves you know inhabiting that it but if we're still trying to inhabit this ideal of a 20 year old or a 30 year old it's just it seems really harmful you know so I I don't want to try to look like I'm younger than I am and I've been trying to think of like well who are some new icons I can have and so I'm kind of workshopping it, calling it um, crone goals, you know, I like it. (laughs) So like my old goals, you know, um, my like, uh, what's the my maiden goals, I guess Mm -hmm. it was people like, I don't know, Shirley Manson. I didn't like Courtney Love that much because I was in love with um, Kurt Cobain. And but I did love her look you know, and all of the Riot Girl stuff, like Donita Sparks and Cat Beigeland were like big, like fashion things for me. And it was very 90s, you know, whatever. But I'm not going to try to look like people that don't even look like that now. Right. So I'm trying to think of new, new ones. And so I'm trying to push into further older than me. I don't want women or people that are my age. I want older. Right. So I've made a little list that I want to share with you of people. And then if you have any, I'd love to hear here if you have any people. So I'm staying away from like people that have had work done because it's not I don't I'm ultimately trying not to have work done, although I might do it. We'll see what happens. But do you know Iris Apfel? Yes. Oh, she's a muse for Alexis Batar, which is like my favorite jewelry line. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She She's like a fashion icon, interior designer. She's, I think, 94 or 95. Yeah. She wears the giant glasses, mm-hmm. which I'm like, my glasses are just going to get bigger and weirder the older I get. And she wears so much color and the biggest jewelry, just chunky, giant jewelry. Mm-hmm. But she does it in a way that is so, I mean, it's, she's an artist like what she's wearing is art and she just is louder and prouder the older that she gets and so just zero fox I just love her okay um in a similar vein but much darker is mm-hmm. Michelle Lamy or Lamy Lamy will you look her up real quick L-A-M-Y okay she's a French oh yeah oh my look God. at her okay totally weird this is so you. So she is dark. She's also a fashion icon and has been in the L.A. scene for a long time. Do you think you're going to be able to commit to the face tattoos? The fa- I think she might paint those on. Um, but she, she'll do lines on her face. She has all gold teeth. She'll dip her fingers in ink mm-hmm. and then just rub it on her fingers. Like that's part of her style. She's an older woman that is dark and fashionable and creepy but very enticing to look at, like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of wanting to hit the mark in between Iris and Michelle, <laughs> you know, like I'm holding them both up. I admire them both. And then on a different level, there's Frances McDormand. Mm-hmm. 
100%. I remember reading years ago a quote from her where she was talking about that she's not going to have any work done because who's going to play older women? Mm. (laughs) You know, who's going to do it? And I kind of feel that way. I kind of want to be like, well, if I let myself age naturally and I look older than maybe what people expect for my age, then I'm filling that category and kind of de-shaming for other people in that same category. You know, I love it. I mean, I, here's the thing is like, I had so much body shame growing up Mm -hmm. that now as I'm getting older, it's triggering some of those feelings Mm -hmm. that I had when I was younger. It might be a little bit too much for me to take Mm-hmm. given my history around like not loving myself and not loving my body. And I'm absolutely considering doing a few things and, that are yeah. not just the natural, you know, like exercise. And I mean, I eat really well. I'm practically vegan and yeah. you know, I'm so hydrated. And yet there are <laughs> things like for me, like that are out of that feel out of control in my body. And yeah. So, you know, you might be the au natural and I might get a little, a little bit of help. But as far as some people that I am really inspired by, Isabella Rosalini, Mm -hmm. not necessarily some, like, I'm not looking at her necessarily aesthetically, but Mm -hmm. energetically, like she does this, she has a sex education series that she did that was just so like, you're talking about the animal sex? Yeah, oh, and I she loved like it. has this. Um, I think she has sheep, and she has designers make these weird garments for yeah. her from like her sheep's yes. wool. And you know, she's still very like a, into her fashion and aging very naturally. Mm-hmm. And I, I just find that so iconic to have been like what is it um death becomes her yes that character that she mm, is that is dress. so it's she embodies youthfulness and now the way that she's aging it's like a really nice conversation right that she's in yes of like I'm still very relevant I am inspired by Jodie Foster right mm-hmm. now in True Detective yes. because I mean she's got something similar that I have like that small upper lip that's just being like eaten up <laughs> by wrinkles and I love that like she is and she's a very sexual character on that mm. show too which is interesting I mean gosh it's a really the show's great if you like that kind of dark crime yeah vibe but she's very not I I am really appreciating her and Frances McDormand for still being in stuff and not succumbing to the pressure of like changing their faces and their bodies and stuff. Yeah. I want to make sure to be clear about this. This is like my personal choices and I am not against or shaming anyone who gets any kind of work done. I used to be someone actually who really went hard on the like plastic surgery shame and Mm. I've totally changed my perspective on it because I'm just like how can I be someone who gets tattoos Mm. which is body modification right and then have any sort of feeling about anything that somebody else does I think that that was like a defense mechanism for me of like this is stupid who cares about being beautiful right right yeah and it's hard I think it's particularly hard in Los Angeles because it's it's kind of like everywhere and like available and also technology the 
the art of it has changed mm-hmm. a lot. And there's a lot of things that you can do besides, you know, rip your face off and put it back on yeah. a little bit tighter. And so I, it's, it, it's, and, and I don't know, maybe I will get work done, but the whole idea is really just to like rearrange our icons as we, as we mm-hmm. age, you know? And so whatever that might be, it's just, there's, it's interesting to get older. <laughs> Yeah, well, and here's the other thing that I think, you know, because women are predominantly valued for Mm -hmm. what we bring in terms of like the male gaze and birthing children. And like once you get over that hump where you no longer serve that purpose of like Mm -hmm. male desire or breeding, Mm -hmm. then like your relevance really goes down. Actually, here's an icon for me. Mm. This week I did a TikTok on the motherhood penalty. Mm-hmm. Because there is new research that just came out and it builds on the research of last year's Nobel Prize winner in economics, first woman to win without a, like a male co-researcher. Mm-hmm. Her name is Claudia Golden. Mm-hmm. And when I looked her up to get some photos for TikTok, I just like loved her instantly. She mm-hmm. has this warmth to her mm-hmm. and she's like doing some, there's photos of her speaking and I just felt her power instantly yeah. and her wisdom you know she's an older Harvard researcher and I was like yes that is a woman in her power yeah that's amazing yeah I love that that's a really good icon we should make a little vision board of our favorite women over 50 over 60 yeah, honoring the crone stage. I love that, Rob. I'm ready to crone it up. I'm like, I want to go full sea witch. I'm like ready. Part of me isn't. Part of me, I'm like, oh, my neck. But then I look at Iris and I'm like, you know what? That chunky jewelry. She always has a big scarf and she always has a bunch of jewelry. And it's okay to cover up certain parts of your body with fabulousness if you want to. That's yeah, okay. if that makes you feel in your power. Fuck yeah. Fuck totally. yeah. <laughs> Uh, what makes us feel in our power is when you give us a rating and a review and follow the podcast so that it automatically downloads into your feed. Please go and do those things for us. We would so appreciate it. Find us on TikTok and Instagram at Fuck yeah Pod, and we will talk to you next week. Fuck yeah. Fuck Yeah! Podcast is hosted and produced by Robin Jennings and Sarah Tomchesson, a.k.a. my mom. Theme music is by She, Her, Sir. Segments are voiced by Kristen Smith-Davis. If you're enjoying the pod, please subscribe and leave us a rating or review. And don't forget to share with a friend. You can email us at fyapod at gmail.com or follow us on TikTok or Instagram at fuckyapod. Thanks for tuning in.